Uh, let's just pray and let's go home. So, um, no, I'm excited to get to preach to you all tonight, especially you. And um, I love getting to preach in front of you guys. You guys are awesome. And uh, this is an exciting bunch. And we're going places. And we are the core of our church. You need to take that personally. So, you know, I am the core of this church. Um, so it's going to be a good night tonight. Um, look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good tonight. And then look at the other neighbor and be like, you look pretty good too. All right. Feels good to say nice things, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, is there a, is there a agua, a water I can get? Water? Thank you, sir. Um, tonight, we are going to talk about crazy in love. That is my uh, marching orders tonight, is to talk on crazy in love. Thank you, sir. I don't need your cat. So, I would I'd love to do a little recap of what we've learned thus far. So, the first week, uh, Morgan taught us um, about... What is uh, what love is, and uh, she said that a life without passion is a dead life, and how the only way to show the real Jesus is to demonstrate his character to others. So that was the first week on what is love. Um, the second week was all DJ Pappy Bruce over here. He he talked about um, how to love, and he talked to us about how man's love is completely different than God's love. You know, as humans. We want to do a give and take, and we once we give something, we expect things in return. But God's love is just is just giving, and He doesn't expect anything in return. It'd be nice, it'd be good to do something for Him in return, but He doesn't expect anything in return. So that's if you haven't been here, or uh, maybe if you missed missed a week, that that's what we've uh, been over. And um, if you know if you're new to us tonight, if this is your first time here ever, or maybe it's your second or third or fourth, just know you are welcome here. And this is a great place, and uh, we're family here. We all do life together. Um, you don't need to try to do anything to try to fit in. You just, you belong, and uh, we are for you. We'll back you up. We are a covenant family, so um, don't get it twisted. You belong here, and uh, yeah, that's about it. So I want to start out just with a... A definition. I'm so close to you guys. I want to start out with a definition of love. Is this going to mess the sound up if I come back here? Cool. So I looked up a definition of love, and there was a whole bunch. There was like at least six, and they're just like so basic. I'm like, yeah, I know that's what love is. But I found the one I wanted. It's kind of far down the list. But um, love is the fatherly concern of God for humankind. That's us. So that said, I want to start tonight in Mark 5, 25. I'm going to be reading, I believe, everything, all my, yeah, all the scriptures will be out of uh, the New Living Translation tonight. If you don't have a Bible, look at, look at your neighbors, and neighbors help somebody out if they need it. We're going to stay in the Gospels tonight, and uh, so uh, go to Mark 5, 25 through 34. Thank you, Morgan. We're going to start uh, since this topic is crazy in love, um, we're going to start with the story of the woman with the issue of blood. I know, I'm sure a lot of us have probably heard that. If you haven't, 
these scriptures that I read tonight, I'm really going to break them down. I want everybody to understand exactly what's happening verse by verse. So I'm going to read some stuff, scripture, and we'll break it down. So let's start in verse 25, Mark 5, 25. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Stop there. Boom. This woman has been sick for 12 years. Not a day or two with a southern Indiana river cold. Not a week. Not a month. 12 years. I mean, uh, I got sick a while back, and I was sick for like two days, and I was just miserable. Like, this is terrible. So 12 years. That's pretty long. So you could think after 12 years, somebody's who's sick for 12 years, we're pretty fed up and pretty tired of being sick. So uh, let's start again at 26. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. So this woman um, did a little bit of studying. She was anemic because of her blood loss. She was constantly weak. I mean, if your blood is your life in your body, you know. That's what keeps you going in the natural. Um, I mean, she was weak, and she was breathless. I mean, she was walking around shaky, and uh, she was hardly able to walk because of the lack of strength. And, uh, you know, I studied and read that this lady was pretty wealthy, too. She was, she was real, real, real wealthy, and she had spent all of her life savings and, and, and all she had to seek help from doctors, but, you know, they were never, never able to give her any relief. It says it actually, it got worse, actually. You know, because of her uncleanliness, because of, uh, the story is called the woman with the issue of blood. It, she had a, she had a female problem, a, a, a constant flowing of blood that wouldn't stop. And you can, that's just not good. And, uh, so, in the, in the Bible times, back in the day, that you were considered unclean because you had an issue that nobody else had. So they thought, hey, if, if I get touched by that person, I'll probably start bleeding consistently. So everywhere she went, people were like, hey, there's that girl with the issue of blood. Watch out for her. Don't, don't get near her. So you can imagine, if you're, if you're the woman with the issue of blood, I'm about pointing to a guy and said, the woman, you know, if they saw you coming, they'd be like, well, let's go this way. Let's get away from her. You know, they're afraid. Hey, I'm going to get touched. I'm going to be unclean, and then I'll be the outcast of society. So this is somebody that they didn't really want anything to do with. They wanted to stay away from. So, and, and also, this lady couldn't even, she couldn't even go into a church, go into a temple to, to hear Jesus preach or just any of the Pharisees. So imagine that. She wants to, and she has the desire to, but she can't because it's just, it's not allowed. So, again, in 27, verse 27, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe. You know, she was concerned because of her uncleanliness. She's in a crowd of people. A crowd means close proximity, you know, maybe shoulder to shoulder even. So she was, she was afraid that there would be judgment from people. You know, she saw Jesus. She thought, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. And... She was afraid that if she did that, people would judge her and the, and the people that were walking with him. Verse 28, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. 29, immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body 
that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciple, verse 31, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? So Jesus felt someone touch him and asked, who touched my robe? So, the, you know, he, he's, he's walking through the, the city and he's got his squad with him. And they're probably, you know, doing a little thing, walking through like, hey, Jesus, yo, what's up? You know, just getting a little thing on. And who's ever been in a big crowd? Okay. I know not everybody's been to Love is Red, but do you remember the times when we're, we're at the doors with anticipation, ready to get in, they open the doors, and everybody just, you know, like cattle would go in, but you're, you're shoulder to shoulder with everybody. You're touching people. So if Haas and I are walking in a big crowd like that, and you, you feel somebody touch you, you're not going to say, who touched me? You're, you're in a crowd. So you can kind of understand why his squad he was walking with would be like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Who, what do you mean who touched you? There's, there's like 100 people around us, so... You know, but Jesus, he knew that virtue had left his body. He knew that healing power had gone out from his body. So verse 32, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. You know, Jesus was determined to find that woman. He was determined. Verse 33, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. You know, the woman spoke up out of fear because, you know, she was being told, hey, if you touch anybody, you're going to make them unclean. So, you know, she thought, hey, I feel better in my body, but I touched Jesus, so therefore he's unclean. So, you know, out of fear, and, and uh, she thought, hey, I got to tell Jesus. So Jesus was able to do in an instant, in a matter of a split second, what no doctor could do for 12 years. All those years, all that time, all that money she spent trying to get relief, trying to be healed, never any better. And Jesus did it like that. You know, he, Jesus just could have walked on and, uh, you know, realizing that healing power had went out of his body, could have been like, I felt that. He just kept going. But knowing Jesus, he knew what was going on. He knew what was going on. And what I think was... Uh, he wanted everyone to see her faith, and he wanted everyone to see his, what his love could do for her and what his love could do for us as well. You know, she was concerned of judgment, of, of, uh, of people bringing condemnation down on her, of people judging her, saying, according to the law, you are not allowed to be touching people. She was worried about that, but instead, Jesus only showed her grace. He only showed her love, crazy love. He showed her mercy, showed her kindness. He didn't have to stop. We're talking about this is Jesus Christ, God of the universe. But one person he stopped for. You know, what Jesus said at the end, if you think about it, he could only have said it with a smile on his face. Okay, can you imagine him saying this with no emotion or being angry? Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering's over. I highly doubt. Someone just got healed. Someone just had an issue in their body for 12 years, and now all of a sudden, like, that is gone. You could imagine he got down and said to her with a smile on his face, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You know, Jesus was crazy in love with her, 
just like he is with you and I. You know, he's willing to love the things that are unclean, the things that are dirty, the things that are messy. You know, maybe you come from a, a divorced family. Maybe you come with a family who doesn't have a lot of money. Maybe there's people at your school or at your job that have said some, you know, some mean things about you. Jesus' love doesn't consider any of that. He's crazy in love with you. He says, I love you despite your broken divorced family. I love you despite your financial background. I love you despite what others have said about you. That's crazy love. Turn in your Bibles to John 8, verse 1. Again, this is in the NLT, God's favorite translation. Okay, it's my favorite translation, but I mean, there's others that are great. King James is good. I like it. NKJV is good too. I mean, amplified, solid, message is good for certain things, but NLT is near and dear to my heart. Okay, so John 8, we're going to read 1 through 11. Again, I'm going to break it down. This is the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Let's uh, start in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, verse 2. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. Verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. So, if you're caught in the act of adultery, I'll tell you what this means. It means, one, she's married. Two, she was caught with someone else who was married. Who who was married as well, doing things they shouldn't have been doing. So she would have had to have been married, and he would have had to been married. So not a good thing. So they just brought her in, and they just threw her. You know, Jesus is in the temple teaching people, and I'm sure he's got a huge crowd. He attracted crowds wherever he went. Even if they didn't know he was coming, they just showed up, and boom, there's a crowd. So they walked in, threw in front of the crowd, causing probably a huge scene. She probably feels... You know, how embarrassing would that be? She probably feels the the stares coming from people, the knives being stabbed in her back. You know, she feels a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And these people are wanting to make an example out of, out of her, and they're, they're trying to catch Jesus. Read, read here in verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust of his finger. So, I mean, here they are. He's in front of a whole bunch of people. And they're like, Jesus, what are you going to do? And he's just like, hold on one second. Gets down. He's probably drawing like a smiley face and probably drawing. Who's ever drawn that, that S? You know, you do three lines, three lines, and connect. He's probably drawing one of those because that's my favorite. I used to put like a really long sword through it. I would draw on like all my math papers. I don't know why. Probably why I failed geometry. But, um, like, and algebra. I'm not gifted like you are. You're good. Logic. Um, too many inside jokes. I'm sorry. Uh, so he, he, he stooped, down, stooped on the ground and started just drawing in the dust. And there's, there's reasons. I, I read of exactly maybe what he might have been writing, but we won't get into that. So, so you could just think, though, he's kind of ignoring them, kind of thinking like, yeah, what's your point? Just go away. I don't have time to deal with you. I'm God. So... <laughs> You know, the Pharisees hated Jesus. 
They didn't like him because here they are. They're the smart people. They're the, they're the, when people think of someone who's really biblically intelligent, they think Pharisees and the scribes and they think those type of people. But here's Jesus saying, yeah, I'm God. And you're just, you know, you're just somebody who studies the Bible. And they're thinking like, that's our competition. So they want to take him out. They don't like what he's teaching. They think it's going against what they believe. Um, so they're hoping that with that question they, that they asked him, you know, what do you say, Jesus? They're hoping they'll catch him in a trap and get him thrown in jail. That's what they're trying to do. So they're trying to embarrass that girl for being caught in adultery, and they're trying to trap Jesus. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. I like this. He said, all right. This is a paraphrase. All right, go ahead and stone her. But the one who's never sinned, throw the first stone. Boom. Back to the dust. Smiley face. Doodles. So it's like you ever, you ever heard the slow roast? He just gave it to him so good right there. Just, just totally just blasted him. They're just like, ah. With the rocks in their pockets and their hands, they're kind of like maybe dropped them. And, and the smart ones, maybe the, probably the more seasoned ones, are like, yeah, yeah, he's got a point. <laughs> I've done lots of sins. I'm out. And then the young prideful ones are like, no, no, she deserves it. She's going to pay. And they're like, uh, but I've sinned too. And they finally, they let go of that rock and they're out. So here she is, drug in front of a crowd, thrown, accused. Jesus doodles, blasts them. All the people are gone, all the people that are accusing her. Verse 9, he says, or, When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, because of wisdom, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Verse 10, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Woman, where are the accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Verse 11. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, Jesus wanted her set free from, her, from the punish, punishment that she was going to get. She was going to be stoned. That's not some little small thing. It's not like, hey, I'm going to gra- grab a handful of gravel. We're talking like rocks and, and big rocks. I mean, the whole purpose of stoning somebody is to kill them. And you know how long it would take to kill somebody by throwing gravel at them. So this is not some little, like, you know, little weak throw of them throwing stuff. They're probably hurling huge rocks at this woman. So he wanted her set free from the things that were keeping her in bondage. And he wants you set free from the things that are keeping you in bondage. You know, it's grace that sets people free from sin, not pointing out what they did, not pointing the big judgmental finger and saying, this is what you have done wrong. It's not do's and don'ts. It's not condemnation. It's not judgment. It's not the traditions that we've made up. But the beautiful grace of God, that's what sets people free. You know, Jesus didn't care what the scribes and Pharisees thought. You know, his reputation and, you know, his, his being free and to, to be able to go out in public, that was on the line. You know, he could, have, he could have said the wrong thing. He risked it for her. You know, he could have been like, yeah, you know, you're right, but he's God. He knows everything. He knew that law inside out. He knew all the loopholes. He knew that was a trap coming. You know, Jesus was crazy in love with her, and he's crazy in love with you, and he's crazy in love with, with me. You know, he loved us so much that he was, just, he was willing to stand up in front of that crowd 
and potentially risk being thrown in jail, who knows what. He loves us. Turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew 17. Is this making sense? That's good. It kind of made sense when I was studying, and I was hoping that when I get up in front of people, it would make sense as well. I want to talk to you finally about the story of Jesus and Barabbas. Mm, I love this story. I didn't love it until I, I heard a teaching on it. And uh, I've, always, I've always just, whenever I've read the story of Jesus and Barabbas, I was like, yeah, cool, Barabbas. He's just some minor character. But, I mean, I, I listened to a, a, a teaching on it and made me think about who Barabbas was, not just what was going on with Jesus at the time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Matthew 27, 17 through 36. It's kind of long, but... I want you to imagine, to imagine being, in the, being in the crowd. There's a crowd here, and you'll, you'll see. Being in the crowd and observing what's going on. Just Let's just say you're there, you're quiet, you're just observing. So when I read this, just imagine that. Verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anybody they wanted. Verse 16. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. Verse 17, as the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Messiah? Verse 18, he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. See, again, religious leaders, they're, they're envious, they're jealous of Jesus. Verse 19, just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Verse 20. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So you can imagine these. They're, oh gosh, they're instigators. They're going around, you know, hey, you know, when he, when he asks who, who do you want set free, just yell Barabbas, and they're passing on. So these are going out, these weasels are weaseling their way through the crowd, telling everybody, hey, ask for Barabbas. When he says, who do you want, shout for Barabbas. And if they say, what about Jesus? They say, oh, just crucify him. And they're probably bribing people. They're probably slipping some coinage to them. These are weasels. Weasels. Killed my Jesus. So, where was I at? Okay, verse 21. Thank you. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. That's who they wanted. 22, Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? They shouted back, Crucify him! 23, Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him! Verse 24, Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. Verse 25, and, they all, and all the people yelled back, We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. Verse 26. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. This is a pretty outrageous story. Here we have Jesus, God in flesh, 
someone, an innocent man about to be murdered, and Barabbas was a murderer about to be set free. How does that work? You know, Barabbas was a bad man. He was a thug. He was a crook. The Bible says that he led a, a rebellion, and uh, he was a murderer. He killed people. That's what murder, murdering means, if you didn't know that. You know, Barabbas, this is me. This is not that I'm a Pharisee, but the Pharisee in me thinks when I read this story, yeah, Barabbas, he's a murderer. Let him go to the cross to be hung and, 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 and to be murdered and killed. I mean, that's what he deserves, right? I mean, he's done some bad things, and uh, let him get what he deserves. I mean, I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm the only one. Does anybody, does anybody else think that? We'd hear about this story. Here's Jesus, perfect, never messed up a single time in his life, healed people, set people free. And then you have a, a murderer, someone who he deserves to be thrown in jail. He, he deserves to stay there. He shouldn't be released. He needs to, to go in the place of Jesus. He's the one who's a bad man. Jesus should walk free. Yet Jesus did something else in that moment. You know, this is the way I see it. <laughs> He's Jesus. He could have looked up to the heavens and said, All right, Father, I've had enough of this. Send 10,000 of our finest angels and turn these fools to dust. Right? I mean, can you imagine that? Right out heaven, <laughs> dead, just obliterated. Easily, like that, no problem. But he said to Jesus, or Jesus said to God, he says, fine, Father, let him have Barabbas, let him take him. You know, Jesus was crazy in love, so crazy in love with Barabbas that he would go to the extreme to be murdered in his place and let Barabbas walk free. I mean, but why? Let Barabbas get the punishment he deserves. Barabbas thought it was the people in the, in the crowd that set him free, but it, instead it was the love of God that set him free. It wasn't the people. God had orchestrated that moment from day one in heaven when everything was being created. He set that into motion all the way from then all the way until this moment. It wasn't the people. You know, Jesus loves Barabbas, and he loved Barabbas just as much as he loves you and just as much as he loves me. He's crazy about him. He's crazy about someone that would walk off and never even think about what had, what had happened. That's what Barabbas did. From what I've read, there's no other place in the Bible where they mention, hey, do you guys remember Barabbas? He, decide, he finally decided, like, hey, who was that guy that took my place? Oh, hey, thanks, man. He didn't say any of that. Just walked off. He's like, peace, I'm out, I'm free. You know, and probably went out and started doing all the bad things that he was originally in jail for. You know, I wonder how many times that we've done stuff that we know we should have done. And sometimes it's gross and it's ugly. And we may feel ashamed and tell God, God, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to do this. And I don't want to keep messing up, but what if I do it again? And God says, I'll still be here. You know, his, his love is so crazy for us that he's willing to look past all of our mistakes and all of our failures. He said, Jesus said, I'm not concerned about your past. 
I'm not worrying about your present because I know your future. That, that's what crazy in love is. Willing to look past all the, all the ugliness, all the times that we, sh- we knew better, and just be like, it's all right. I still love you. I'm still here. That's, that's what crazy in love is. I'm finished. But before we go tonight, I want to give, I want to give everyone the opportunity to get to know Jesus if you don't know him. Get to know a God and a Jesus and a Father who's crazy in love with you. He's crazy in love with you. Do you know that? So just everybody uh, close your eyes and bow your heads and nobody look around. This needs to be private. You know, if you think, hey, AMC, you know, I I get, I kind of, this might be the first time I've heard it this way. You know, um, I can relate to what you're saying. I can put myself and the woman with the issue of blood, I can put myself in her shoes. I could, I could, I could see myself as a Barabbas. And um, you think, you know, I've heard God loves me, and, and I heard he's for me, but I didn't really, you know, I, that's all I know. I, I didn't know he's crazy about me. I didn't know he's crazy in love with me. Let me tell you, this is the single most important decision you will ever make in your life accepting Jesus and getting to know him as your personal savior, as your father, as someone who's crazy in love with you. So without anybody looking around, just keep your eyes closed. And, um, you know, if, if you're that person, would you just raise your hand real quick? Nobody looking around or anything. Just raise your hand.